This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It's good to see you here. Uh, My name is Chris. I'm the pastor at Christian Chapel. If we haven't met, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you joined us on a rainy Sunday. So good job to all of you. When I was up here around 8, it started pouring outside, and I was talking to, to Chris and said, I think our second service attendance just went up. Uh, so to all of you, you're the real MVP today. You got out. You, you braved the weather. You got here anyway. So good good for you. Good to see you. Um, this morning, we're continuing our message series called Not Impressed. And we're talking about how it doesn't matter how awful we are, how awesome we are. Jesus always moves towards us. And he always comes to reveal his plan. He comes down right in the middle of either our kind of shame or our self-righteousness and reveals himself as our savior, reveals himself as the one who wants to lead us and guide us. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus is not impressed by our baggage, right? So we all come in this morning with some stuff that we hope no one knows about, right? Everybody does. Like you you look around and you might look down the, the row and say, like, no, this person down here, they've got it together, they are smiling, like they're, they're married and they're holding hands. Their kids are respectful. Everything is good. They can't possibly, I promise you, that person has some shady stuff in their past. Because we all do, right? There is nobody in here who's perfect. There's nobody in here who's always done everything right. And for the most part, all of us have some stuff in our past that we would just as soon forget about and we would just as soon no one else ever know about. Now, the, the bigger and more profound the weight of that baggage you carry, the harder, time it is, the harder time you're going to have understanding that Jesus sees that, he knows all about it, and he's still coming not only to reveal his love for you in the middle of that situation, but to also show you how he can redeem what you think is baggage that holds you back, and he can turn it into an opportunity to use your story for his glory. And so this is what we're going to see today. Uh, In John chapter 4, we find a story of a woman's interaction with Jesus. And she is one of the most unlikely characters in the New Testament to have an encounter with him and to be changed by him. And, And yet we'll see, kind of as we work our way through, that she becomes one of the most effective communicators of the gospel that we've ever known. Uh, and serves in a, in a really important function, not just in this story, but in, in church history as a whole. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. We're just going to kind of read some portions of this story. It's from uh, verse 1 through 42, if you want to read it in its entirety later today. But we're going to start in verse 5. It says, He, meaning Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So what we're going to see here is is this woman comes, and she's got three distinct types of baggage that she carries with her that day. And I think as we look at that, we'll, we'll figure out that we can identify with pretty much each one of those. So the first thing you see, she comes and she's got some social baggage, right? It says that she comes at noon to draw water. Now, this, again, doesn't mean anything for us. We don't draw water. We turn on faucets, right? But uh, if you lived with her, you would know that you had to go outside of town to the well. You had to lower it down in. You had to collect the water. You had to carry the water back. And this, in the society they lived in, a pretty patriarchal society, was a woman's job. 
And so the women would go out, and women in the society were fairly isolated. So while it seems burdensome of, hey, ladies, guess what? Every morning, every night, you need to haul some jars out there, and you need to haul them back full of water. It was also an opportunity the women typically embraced because it was an opportunity for them to interact with each other. So when they went to draw water, they were getting out of their houses. They were getting away from their their husbands, their kids. It was their chance to connect, to talk, to do all these sorts of things. So women would go in the morning before it got hot to get their water for the day. And they would go back in the evening sometimes if they ran out again after the heat of the day. And yet this woman comes at noon. And so we can see already she's carrying around something with her that she is isolated, she is alone, she is intentionally avoiding the common times to draw water. Now we we don't know, we're going to get some clues later in the story, but at this point we don't know if she is doing that because that's her preference or because that's what she's been told she has to do by the other women in her town. All we know is she comes to the well and she comes at a time when she does not expect to interact with anyone at all. And yet she finds Jesus sitting there. Now, now you and I, we have this experience. You see, in, in, when we're living in sin especially, one of the lies the enemy is going to tell us is you are isolated, you are alone, you are rejected, and you deserve to be that way. Nobody wants anything to do with you. Nobody wants to be around you. And if we start believing in this lies, and just like this woman, we're going to pick up that baggage of shame. We're going to pick up that baggage of isolation. We're going to pick up that baggage of rejection. And we're just going to start to believe the lie that this is just who I am. Now, you might get used to carrying that around. But that doesn't mean just because you're used to it or just because you've kind of decided this is just how I'm always going to be. I, I mean, even this morning, some of us, we're sitting here in a room full of people feeling completely isolated, completely alone. Some of you are going to go to a home group tonight, and you're going to sit in a living room in a place where community and friendship should be formed. And the whole time you're going to think, nobody here knows me, and if they knew me, they wouldn't want me here. Right? You will believe the lie that you were created for isolation. That's what this woman has believed. She thinks this is just who I am. This is just how it's always going to be. And yet that day, her encounter with Jesus teaches us something very important. It teaches us that in our isolation, in our rejection, in our loneliness, Jesus always meets us in that space. She goes expecting to get her water and go home. Jesus goes expecting to encounter this woman and to give her news that's going to change her life. But that's not the, the only baggage she carries that day. She's got her social baggage, but she also carries some, some cultural baggage with her, right? So this one, this one will be a little bit different. She comes, and, and it says um, she's a, a woman, right, obviously. He's a man, obviously. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. And now that might not mean a lot to us today, but what it means is this is kind of some baggage that she is carrying in front of her, and Jesus is supposed to see it. And he's supposed to know, because of what she has, I'm not going to talk to her. Because of what she holds in her hands. You see, the the surprising thing is not that Jesus asks her for water. The surprising thing is that Jesus asks her for anything at all. Culturally, everything is set up for them to sit at the same well in the middle of the day by themselves and pretend that the other person does not exist. It was culturally unacceptable for Jesus as a single man to speak to any woman, let alone a woman who might be married. It was culturally unacceptable for this woman to engage him in conversation. And then you have the whole Samaritan Jew thing that that goes back for years, and there's all this animosity and all of this strife, and both sides think they're right, and both sides look down at the other. I mean, it sounds like 
2019 in so many ways, right? And, and we still do the same things. We walk around with our baggage, and sometimes we think our baggage is why we can't have a relationship with God. And sometimes we think our baggage is why only we can have a relationship with God, right? Because I am the chosen one or I am rejected and, and whatever that is. So for hers, her says, Samaritan woman. And because of that, she thinks Jesus cannot possibly want anything to do with me. Now, you and I, we've got all kinds of different titles we put on that cultural baggage. It could be the town you grew up in. It could be the, the amount of money that you make. It could be the college you went to or did not go to. It could be the fact that you dropped out or the fact that you got a GED. It could be how you vote. It could be the color of your skin. It could be the shape of your body. It could be if you're a man or a woman. All kinds of things that we put on here. And then some of those, we will start to believe the lie that because of what this cultural baggage says, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. He's decided that, that I'm, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. And, and sometimes the, the church has done a, a bad job of this. Because sometimes we've reinforced that notion of, hey, if you're, if you're too messed up, right, if, if, you, if you've got into too much stuff, it's, it's better for all of us if you just don't come around. Because we don't have time for that. Or, or maybe they can start another church for people like you. You know, and, and you can go there. And, and sadly, we, we see this. It's like, oh, you're, you're divorced? Well, gosh, we really believe in the family here. There's a church down the road, though, and that pastor, he's on his third marriage. I think you'd fit in there. Right? And, and we kind of begin to elevate some of these things. But what we see in Jesus' story is he, he sees her baggage. He knows all about it. He knows better than she does. I'm not supposed to talk to you. And yet, what does he do? Hey, hey, will you get me a drink? She says, how can you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. And then Jesus, in the, the middle of this conversation about her baggage, he sees, okay, there's something with this lady that she's here by herself in the middle of the day. I know she's a Samaritan woman. I'm in Samaria. I'm not supposed to have this interaction. But then she, she kind of throws these up of, why are you talking to me? And Jesus launches into this idea of, hey, I've got a plan for you right in the middle of your baggage. He says, if, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you water that will well up within you, and you will never thirst again. And this woman, it, it sounds like good news to her. right? The, this promise, and we don't know if she thinks that Jesus is promising, like, you actually know where there's an inexhaustible supply of water, and I'll never be thirsty again. We don't know. We, we, we think probably she is spiritually beginning to be moved by the Holy Spirit and beginning to have this understanding of there is something unique about this man. There is something unique about this conversation. And this idea of living water is something that sounds really, really great to me. So, so it's that moment that some of us have had, that many of us have had, where for the first time we start to hear the gospel. We hear the good news of Jesus. Right? And, and we know our baggage, we know what we've carried around, we know what we've done, we know who we are, and yet we still hear that Jesus sees us, and he knows us, and he loves us, and he has a plan for us, and our hearts start to come alive, and it's that moment of, yes, that's what I want, give me that living water, and that's where this lady gets to, I want that living water, but before she gets it, Jesus comes back in one more time, and he says, hey, go call your husband, go to town, get your husband, and come back. Right, and, and then this is where Jesus, he just kind of goes into it. And, and we've all got this personal baggage. Like, this is, this is what we all come walking in with today. I don't know what's in yours necessarily, and you don't know what's in mine. But we know there's some stuff in there that we'd rather keep private. And for this lady, 
I mean, the, the thing she wants to keep private is her marital status and her marriage history. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, I mean, there are so many conversations that Jesus has with people where it just seems like he has no social awareness at all, right? Like, did Mary teach you nothing? Like, your, your mama never had that talk of, we don't ask that in public. We don't, we just don't say that, right? Like, I, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and they'd moved into a house, and one of my kids had went and walked through the house with them. And as they were walking through the house, my child said, how much did this cost? <laughs> <laughs> And so my buddy, he told me that, and he was kind of laughing about it. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. I, you know, so later I'm telling my son, hey, we don't ask that. We, we look at Zillow when we're driving away. Like, we, <laughs> we, we know how to do this in a way that is socially acceptable, okay? We don't, don't go digging, right? Yeah, act like you haven't done that. You shut up. All of, we're all guilty. Everybody knows, right? And you want to be like, no, I got a good deal on it. I saw the deal you got on it, okay? And you saw the deal I got on mine. So there we go. But so Jesus, she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know what you say is true. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're married to now, the one, or the man you're with now, he's not your husband. So you're on five. You're working on six, but it's not going real well. Jesus not only points at that personal baggage she's carrying, he pops the lid on it. And starts pulling out the junk inside. Right? And just says, hey, let's, what about number one? What was he like? What about number two? Number three, number four. Now, we don't know if she was divorced five times. We don't know if she was widowed five times. We don't know if it was some combination of both. But whatever it was, it was enough that she is full of shame and trying to hide it and staying away from people. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I know that baggage you're carrying, so let's talk about it. And this is terribly offensive when Jesus does it for her, and it's terribly offensive when Jesus does it for us, right? Because he still comes to us and says, hey, I know know what's in the inside there. I know what's really going on. I know the stories of addiction. I know all the stuff that you've dealt with. And he comes, and he, he just starts meddling in our lives and just starts pointing out to it and saying, hey, but this is the family you came out of. Right? This is the background that you have. These are the ways that you've screwed up before. And, and for some of us, and, and this lady, she's tempted to hear it the same way, we can hear his revelation of our baggage as a rejection of us and his family. But that's not at all what Jesus is doing here. You see, we, we cannot mistake his conviction for condemnation. When he tells a woman, hey, listen, I know, I know, five husbands, this one now is not your husband at all. He is not doing that to try to repel her, but he's doing it to teach her, I know you completely and I love you fully. It's not like he makes the offer of living water and then she says, oh, sorry, I've been married a bunch. He's like, oh, give it back. You're just sorry. I, I didn't, didn't see that coming. I, you know, you're just, you got you to go now. Send someone else from town that's better than you. Right? He doesn't do any of that. It's just, yeah, I, I know. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And the message of Jesus is the same to us. So, so some of us, we've heard the message of the gospel, and we're ready to embrace it, and we're ready to jump in. And we might even embrace it. We say yes to Jesus, and then we go back to work. We go back to school. We go back to our house. We start telling other people about it, and their response is like, whatever. I know what's in the trunk. 
right? I, I know where the bodies are buried in your life. I know where the skeletons are. And if we listen to those people, we'll start to believe the lie that we're not good enough to receive his grace. But this whole encounter Jesus has is designed to teach us that he sees every single part of our lives. Not only is he not repulsed by it, but that is exactly why he has come. And so he calls it out not to shame her, but to set her free. To let her know, I've seen it all, and I'm still here offering it to you. And, And so this lady, she has a response that many of us have. Now our response should be, to fall on her knees and say, thank you, Jesus, that is awesome. I can't believe it. You know everything about me, right? But, but she has the response a lot of us have. Oh, you want to talk about that? Hey, Jesus, look over there. Look over there. And so, so she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. He's just told her. Right? Yeah, I know you've been married five times before. The man you're with is now is not your husband. So she acknowledges the reality. I can see that you are a prophet. But she's trying to shift the, the story back to him and off of her. And she says, you Jews say that we're supposed to worship there, but we Samaritans think that we should worship here. And so she she engages in what a lot of us do. She tries to disguise her baggage by picking a theological fight. Just says, oh, okay, Jesus, you want to talk about my life? Um, Let's talk about theology instead. So let's talk about worship. Right, we, we have this experience. You, you come to, to church, so, so let's say you're in a home group tonight, and you've come this morning, and you're going to hear this message, and, and we're going to read this passage, and you're going to go to your home group tonight, and, and your home group leader is going to at some point lead you through a discussion and say, hey, let's, let's talk about the baggage in your life. What would you think about that story from John 4 this morning? And, and they come to you, and you're like, you know what, I really wanted to engage with it, but I just couldn't get over it because Chris doesn't preach out of the King James Version. And until we preach out of the King James Version, we're just not going to hear God's voice at Christian Chapel. You know, I just, for me to really be fed, I need some more these and thous. And until we get there, and, and everybody in the circle is kind of looking at you like, you've, you've, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point of what we're talking about. We're asking you, how is Jesus working in your life? What's he revealing to you? And you're having that same, oh, look over there. Look over there. What's going on over here? What's happening here? And so, so this is what this lady does. She thinks, oh, Bob. I'll get out of this. I'll go back to some of that cultural baggage, and I'll, I'll throw that up in his face. And he didn't stop him the first time, but this time it will. But Jesus, he, he answers her question, and in answering her question, he brings the issue right back home again, and he does the same thing for us. So she wants to talk about worship. So Jesus says to her in verse 21, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for our salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, now this seems like a diversion in the middle of the story. Jesus is supposed to be there, and he's supposed to be telling her about living water, and he's supposed to be telling her about hope, and he's revealing some of her personal baggage. And then there's this this little, it it feels like a rabbit trail in the middle of, okay, let's go talk about worship for a little bit. But listen to what Jesus says. The time is coming, and in fact is now here, when true worshipers, true worshipers, will worship God in spirit and in truth. Other translations say in the spirit of truth. And so the the point Jesus is making is she's saying, man, maybe if we talk about worship, he'll quit asking me about all this stuff. And he's saying, no, 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 you've you've missed it. Worship is not a diversion from our reality. 
Worship is not an escape from our situation. It is a confrontation of God's truth with my current reality. So he says, you want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. True worshipers. You want to be a true worshiper? You're going to worship God in the spirit and in truth. You're going to worship God by the spirit of truth. And the spirit is going to come and he's going to shine his light in the darkest corners of your heart. He's going to convict you of every single sin. He's not going to leave a single stone left unturned. And it reminds us of something so important. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we are not coming here to look for a temporary escape from our reality. Right? This is not a one-hour experience of I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to leave it all behind me and I'm just going to feel a little bit better and then I'll go pick it all up again. But the idea of worship, I mean, Lauren and I didn't talk about it, but it's, it's exactly what she did for us at the end of service or at the end of that, that worship part when she said, hey, I want you to think about the absolute worst moment of your life. Now, if you went to Worship Leader 101, they would tell you, don't ever say that, right? Worship should be uplifting. Worship should be victorious. Worship should be triumphant. People should feel good. You shouldn't say, hey, in the middle of this, think about the worst. Think about the moment you felt rejected. Think about the moment you felt alone. Think about the thing you did last night that you told God you'd never do again. Think about the addiction you can't get over. Think about the bankruptcy that's coming tomorrow. Think about the pain from that broken relationship. Think about that child that's left your home and you haven't heard from them. Think about that physical illness, that physical suffering. Think about these things. That is not the recipe for wonderful worship experiences, and yet that's what Jesus does here. He says the time is coming and is now here. The moment for worshiping in truth is here. The moment for using worship as an escape from reality. The moment for using worship as a a religious experience separate from our personal experience is gone. And the Spirit comes and he makes us people of truth. And if he makes us people of truth, it means I've got to let God speak the truth about the stuff I don't want to talk about. It means I've got to let God use the truth of my past experiences to share that same good news with others. And so, so she thinks she's found the end around, but she's just starting to understand there's, there is never an end around Jesus. There's never a way to get out of the conversation. There's never a way to make it less personal. He always comes back. Jesus loves you too much to ignore your baggage. He loves you too much to not meddle in the deepest parts of your life. And so he's always going to come, and he's always going to do it. This woman, she has this, this profound experience. To her credit, she, she quits trying to defend. She quits trying to throw up roadblocks. And it says she leaves her jar and runs back to the town. Right? And, and she's had, I mean, this is her conversion moment. And she runs back to the town and, and begins to tell the people about what Jesus has done for her. It says in verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to them, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So, so again, just put yourself in that situation and just think. So this lady, her baggage is so heavy that it causes her to go at the hottest part of the day to draw water because she doesn't want to interact with anyone. 
right? And, and by this point, we understand if you live in a small town like she lived in, and you've been married to five men in that town, and you're now living with a six, chances are good that every one of your husbands was somebody's father, brother, uncle, cousin, like your reputation has probably touched every family in town. And so when she runs back into town, this, this baggage that she's so ashamed of that she's doing anything she can to avoid interactions with people, she runs back into town. And the first thing she says, first of all, is come see a man. You know, there are some hard eye rolls in that town. Really, Susan? A man? Again? We've been down this road. They're counting them up, right? You were married to my uncle. Then you were married to my cousin. Then you married my brother. Then you married her brother. None of those worked out. Then there was the fifth guy that none of us knew, but you swore was the one, and that didn't work out. And now there's this guy you're living with now, and you're telling us you met another man? Come see a man. No. And then she follows it up. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I mean, this goes from eye rolls to just those eyebrows raised, right? Of like, everything you did? We've talked about everything you've done. We're sure there's some things you've done that we don't know about yet. But you met someone who knows everything you ever did and you're still alive? He didn't kill you? He didn't, he didn't curse you? He didn't send you out? He didn't. She says, no, no, no. Come see a man who's told me everything I ever did. It, it could be. It might be. I think it is the Messiah. And it's, it's amazing what happens because the, the woman that has been rejected and the woman that no one should listen to is somehow able to convince a big chunk of her town to follow her back out to the well. And the only reason they come with her is because she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I think he might be the Messiah. There's just something different there. There, there is something about him that, that is transformational. And so she goes, and, and the people come back with her, and they listen. And they're so enthralled that they ask Jesus, hey, will you stay with us a couple more days? So he stays, and he, he teaches them. And the whole time, he's tearing down their personal baggage, and he's tearing down their cultural baggage, and he's telling them, I know everything you've ever done. Right? And, and his conviction is coming, but it's being received as a, a sweet gift from God. He's teaching them about worship. He's teaching them about who he is. And by the time he leaves, the people tell the woman, at first we believe because of what you said, but now we believe because we have heard it, we have seen it, we've experienced it for ourselves. And so, so just for a minute, let's fast forward all the way. So Jesus, he, he finishes his teaching ministry. He is crucified. He's laid in the tomb. He's resurrected. He spends time with the disciples right before the ascension. He tells them, I want you guys to go back to Jerusalem, and you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit. And what you're waiting for is power from the Holy Spirit, because you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, they wait, and they're thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be filled with the Spirit. We're going to go do what Jesus did. We're going to take the gospel to people who have never heard it before. And they, they're filled with the Spirit, and they begin to be sent out from Jerusalem. And as they're sent out, they're seeing people responding to Jesus. They're saying yes to him. And at some point, one of those disciples has to come to this little town of Sakaar. And they, they gather the people. Maybe they gather around that same well, and they kind of stand up, and they say, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And the town responds, yes, we know him. 
We believe in him. We followed him. We've been following him for years. In fact, look, this woman here, she's the first one that told us about him. And so the disciples, you know, it's almost a little deflating moment for them. We were coming to reach the Samaritans, but this woman was the first evangelist. She's the first preacher of the gospel. She's the first one to go. She establishes the church in a place it should never be established. Why? Because she let Jesus get real and personal with her. And then once he had healed her and once he had redeemed her, she didn't say, okay, let's never talk about that again. And this is a response of many of us. Jesus has saved us. He has delivered us. He has come down right in the mess of our lives. He says, I know who you are. I'm going to set you free from that addiction. I'm going to restore that relationship. I'm going to break these generational cycles of abuse in your life. And we receive it. And we say, thank you for it. And then we slam the lid. We kick it to the background. We hope nobody ever asks us about it again. Don't ask me about how I used to be lonely. Don't ask me how I used to be isolated. Don't ask me how, but instead the the better model is this woman. Hey, this is what Jesus saved me from. So guess what? This is how I'm going to start by telling other people about him. So so just think of it this way. Jesus takes your baggage and he turns it into a bullhorn, right? Just we're going to broadcast. He takes your suitcase. He turns it into a stage. He takes your, your past. He turns it into a platform. You can go down your own alliteration road later this afternoon and figure out all the other things that he turns it into. But here's what it looks like. It looks like, okay, I was lonely, and I was neglected, and I was alone. And I felt rejected by everyone. And, and it, might be a, it might be a real, you know, just painful story of this, this social ostracization that you felt your whole life. And then when others point that out, and they're like, hey, weren't, weren't you the kid in middle school that was always at the table by yourself? Hey, weren't you the guy in our office that would never talk to anyone? Hey, weren't you the person at church that you would try a home group one time every year and never come back again? Isn't that you? Aren't you the one that, that, like, we weren't real sure if you were happy to be here or not because you just kind of sat in the corner by yourself, right? And instead of saying, nope, wasn't me, we let God take that and transform it, right? And it's just like, okay, well, Lord, if you save me from it, then we're just going to trust, okay, Yes, that was me. It was. That was me. I was the kid in the corner, lots of zits, scared to talk to everyone. But Jesus has saved me. Jesus has healed me. This is just what he does. But so many of us were like, oh, but Jesus, can you, not a bullhorn, not a bullhorn, like a whisper. You transform my baggage into a whisper, and I'll tell one person one time, and that'll just be it. And he says, no, 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 that's... That's not going to be enough. We're going to have to do more than that. Right, look, we're going to take that cultural baggage that you've carried around. And you're going to say, these are all the reasons that Jesus, and somebody comes to you someday and they say, hey, aren't, aren't you the guy that used to post on Facebook, if you weren't a Republican, Jesus didn't love you? Nope. Nope. I was a 90s Republican. It's different now. Uh, right? Not me. No, I'm not doing that. Instead of saying, yeah, I was. Sorry about that. Turns out I got some stuff wrong. Turns out I, I wasn't really listening, but, but can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what cultural baggage we have. Hey, aren't you the guy back in junior high or high school, you'd tell those racist jokes all the time? No. Yeah, I was. And I was wrong. And I was messed up, and I didn't understand my brothers and sisters that the skin color didn't matter. 
But let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you about how he has given me a, a love for people who are different than me. Let me tell you about how I went and I asked them to forgive me and how now they're my brothers and they're my sisters and now we walk through life together. Right? And, and Jesus takes these things that we were so ashamed of that we just thought, oh man, if nobody ever asked me about that again. This is why in the church so many times when we screw up, we leave. And we just go start over somewhere else. But guess what? Everyone else can see your baggage. They know you're 57 years old and just celebrated your fourth wedding anniversary. They can do math. They know there's a, a story there. They know you have four kids, but you only talk about two. There's a story there. They know you used to be just, just physically imposing, and now you're weak and feeble. There's a story there. They know you used to have this, this wonderful job. And now it's paycheck to paycheck and you're having to sell the big house to move to the smaller house and there's a story there. And, and yet our response is, just please stop asking about it. Just please. And, and yet what, what Jesus is teaching us in John 4 is, man, he takes it all and he redeems it for his glory. It means there's nothing in your life that's wasted and it doesn't matter how dark, doesn't matter how deep. He just comes and says, look, we're gonna use this we're going to tell other people about it. And here's the thing. Here's why it's so, so important. God wants to use your story. He wants to use my story for his glory. Because when I start to tell my story of this is how I've experienced Jesus in the darkest night. This is how I've experienced Jesus when I screwed it up over and over again. You know what it does? It plants seeds of hope in the lives of someone who is where I used to be. And they begin to hear and they think, oh, so I'm not... I'm not the first, I'm not the last. And Jesus just takes this and he says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna take it all. And we're gonna take that past and we're gonna turn it into a platform. And we're gonna take that baggage and we're gonna turn it into a bullhorn. We're gonna take that suitcase, we're gonna use it as stage. And you, you think like right now, I know I look ridiculous. I fully understand that. And it feels equally ridiculous at times for me to have a conversation with somebody about something that happened 20 years ago in my past because I feel like that's over, I've moved on, I don't need to talk about it anymore, right? I don't, I don't need to keep telling the same story of how my parents are divorced. I don't need to keep telling the same story of how those, those awkward holidays the first couple years. I don't need it, but somebody does. I don't need to tell the story anymore of the physical suffering I've endured, of, of having just the, the physical capability stripped away from you. I don't need it, but somebody does. I don't need to keep telling the story of how I battle insecurities and how I'm tempted to have a, a, just a quick temper and lose it about how I, I fight both this, this kind of seesaw battle between I don't think God can use me and extreme arrogance and I'm sure that he's so happy I'm on his team. I don't want to keep telling those stories, but I know I have to because it's not my story, it's his. And some of us today, you are, you're sitting in a spot and the thing you're convinced is the reason Jesus can't use you is the exact space where his glory is gonna shine the brightest. Stop thinking that, that your circumstances have limited his grace. Stop thinking that he can't lead you past where you are. See, what Jesus is coming to us today is saying is, is two things. First of all, if you don't have a relationship with me, today's the day. Today's the day you say yes. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. Today's the day I'm coming to you. I'm meeting you at your point of need and revealing myself as a Savior. And the second thing is, is for many of us, we've said yes to Jesus. 
And yet we've also asked him, can we leave that alone now? Can we not tell that story anymore? God, can you just, and he's saying, well, no, we can't. Because there's more people in that space. There's more people who need to hear my good news. You're not the only one at the well. There's people coming, and as you tell your story, they're going to come and they're going to find me. And just like the Samaritans, they're going to say, I believed in Jesus first because of what you said, but now I believe because I've experienced it myself. I believed initially because of what he did with your baggage. Now I know he's the Savior of the world because of what he's done with my baggage. So we've just all, all of us have to come to this point of surrender of saying, God, I, I just come to receive a relationship with you and to let you have free reign in my life. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray with us. Give us a chance to respond today. You bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and, and you identify with that woman at the well, you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel far from Jesus. And today you hear his voice calling you and saying, hey, come walk with me. Come on, I, I see you. I know you. I am your living water. I am your savior. I am your Messiah. I am your deliverer. And you know you need to say yes to Jesus today. Will you raise your hand so I can pray with you? Jesus, you see us. You see our response to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are working in each heart. So we come today, Lord. For those of us who don't have a relationship with you, we come and just say, will you forgive us? Will you invade our lives? Will you bring your living water? We thank you that our sin has not repelled you, but you are drawn to us in our lostness. Now, if there are those of you here today and you know you've been saved, you're walking with Jesus, but there's some baggage you're ashamed of, there's some baggage you don't want to talk about, there's some things you hope light never shines on. And today you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you, I am going to use your story for my glory. So instead of pushing it behind, I need you to pick it up, I need you to hold it out with open hands, and I need you to let me just kind of mess through the whole thing. And it's a little bit scary to you. And so this morning, the prayer is, God, give me faith to believe that you can use every part of my baggage, every part of my story for your glory. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? God, you see us. You see those of us that that we can't even lift our hands this morning because we're still just gripping that baggage so tightly. Jesus, today I pray that you would come and give us a picture of your love. Give us a picture of your power. You are not an angry God. You are not waiting to strike or to judge, but you are coming in mercy. You're coming in waves of forgiveness. You're coming with redemption, Lord. You're coming to show us that our story will be used for your glory. So help us, Jesus. Help us to lay down our self-righteousness. Help us to lay down our desire to protect our reputation. Help us to lay down our shame, our embarrassment, and to just tell the truth about who we are and who you are, and to trust that you're going to work in that space. As the band leads us in a a final song this morning, and I'm going to invite you, if, if you need to respond to either one of those, either say yes to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, or to surrender your baggage to him. As they lead us in this last song, will you head out the back doors and to your left? Some of our pastors and prayer team members will be waiting to meet with you, praying those prayers of freedom and deliverance. And the rest of us, we're gonna sing this song as a reminder of God's love that is poured out to us. Your mercy is triumphs over just me.
secrets with him, so just embrace his light, embrace his life, let him bring that sweet conviction of the Spirit, shining his light in the darkness, not to push you away from him, but to show you, even in that space, even as you are, you're still my son, you're my daughter, and I am drawing you to myself. So as you go today, may you go with the confidence that comes from his mercy, that in the space where you feel farthest from him, he is incredibly active, working, drawing you into a relationship with him. Thank you for worshiping today. May you go in God's grace and go in his peace. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.